Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Good to worship with you this morning. Good to open God's Word with you. If you have a Bible with you, you can find your way to 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give you one. There are some blue Bibles back on the table there. When you came in, please take one. If you know someone who needs one, please take one and give it to them. We're happy to share God's word with whoever may be in need of it. You owe us nothing. Please just take it and use it. <clears throat> Glad to gather with the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, working our way toward the end of 1 Corinthians. Uh, some people have asked about the earlier teachings in 1 Corinthians because we started this in uh, October of 2019, and then when the COVID pandemic started, it, it threw it, I, I stopped teaching this series and taught other things through that time. And when we regathered after that, uh, I did not return to it right away. And so I felt God leading me last fall to return to and complete 1 Corinthians. So they're all archived. The audio is all available for all of these teachings on our website if you're interested in finding those. If you have specific questions, let me know because there is a, a bit of a disjointed, and I, I think to the praise of God's glory and grace, I think I, I grew even as a preacher from when this started to when it's ending. I, I pray for his continued work in me to help me do this better when I preach. Um, but if you're looking for, you want to go back and find the continuity of 1 Corinthians, gosh, it was chapters 1 through 9, and then we started 10 through 16. So greater than half of this is out there if you want to listen to it, great. And if you just want to read 1 Corinthians and let the Holy Spirit instruct you, even better. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're focusing today uh, on just three verses. In my notes, I put more because originally I was going to preach uh, 12 through like 17 or 18, but I, I cut it because there's specific content to spend our time on here. So um, we're nearing the end of 1 Corinthians. We're halfway through uh, the 16th chapter, and Paul is giving his farewell. This is his farewell to the Corinthian church. It's really interesting because when they write, you'll see at the very end, if you just look down in verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting. It's the end of the letter, and he says, I write this greeting. So it's just a little more uh, backwards. What we would think of a greeting being at the very beginning and not at the end. Isn't this like the salutations? Isn't this where you say goodbye? Or Wait, salutations is where you say hello. This is, uh, it's not palpitations because that has to do with a bad heart. Um, anyway, he's saying goodbye to the Corinthian church, and uh, we're about halfway through that. So um, looking at through the 16th chapter, we talked last week briefly. These farewells can be a little tedious to work through. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot of, hey, I want to come and see you, or I long for you to see this person, or I'm sending so-and-so and receive such-and-such, and, such, and uh, they can be a little tedious to work through. And so while there is not the major preaching points that you find in like chapter 15, which is 58 verses and packed full, or even earlier in 1 Corinthians, there are still principles that we should be picking up and paying attention to in God's word as we work through even the farewell. Even in Paul saying, I hope to come to you soon, we find principles that help us live according to God's word and help us as a church operate according to God's word. So last week we covered verses 1 through 11. 
And we talked about verses 1 through 4, the collection for the saints, how Paul was uh, instructing them, giving them instruction on what to do about receiving money to be able to send that money to those who were in need. At this time, we looked in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had fallen on hard times and the church there uh, needed help. And these saints in Corinth were able to contribute to that help. And then we looked at Paul's uh, plan to travel. He wanted to move through uh, Macedonia, and he wanted to come to Corinth, but he's going to stay at Ephesus because there was work to be done there. The door was open for it. And then he encourages them, Timothy's coming to you when he comes, help him. So last week, the principles that we looked at uh, from chapter 16, we looked at the church should be, the church should be a giving church. We should seek to help other churches in other places when we can, not just collect unto ourselves for whatever the purpose may be. We should also be looking out and saying, there's parts of the body of Christ to which we belong that are in need and we can help them. So a church should be a giving church. Uh, A church should be a Lord willing church. We looked at last week, uh, Paul says in, I think it's verse nine here, if the Lord permits Uh, saying that I have these plans, I want to do these things, but the Lord permits I will do them. And our mindset should be as Christians and then collectively as a church, if the Lord wills, we will do this. Church should be a giving church, there should be a Lord willing church, and the church should be helpful, specifically helpful to workers of ministry. Among us, not from among us, if we can be of help to laborers for the cause of Christ, we should seek to be helping. This morning we're going to talk about a couple of more things, principles that we're just picking out as we go along. What is, what is happening in this specific verse that we can pull something from and understand, Lord, help us. Uh, today we're going to read just three short verses. The church should be understanding and the church should be watchful, firm, strong, and loving. Would you read with me? We're, we're going to focus on three verses, but let's just read 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 1. <clears throat> now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow laborer and every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, but because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church and their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Father, in a moment of preaching, and I am appealing to you and pleading for your help, knowing that I am unable to communicate your word without the help of your Holy Spirit. So please, Father, would you speak to me as you speak through me? And I pray, God, that as you speak through me, your words would fall on the ears of those who are listening, God, and that you would, I pray, humble the sinner to repentance, that the holiness you have defined in your word would be promoted among us as Christians. And I pray, God, that through the preaching of your word, the Savior Jesus Christ would be exalted in this place today. God be with us. Help us to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so again, the church should be, this is just part two, the church should be, first point, understanding. You'll see in verse 12, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but dot, dot, dot. Uh, let's think about this for a second. Have you ever strongly urged somebody to do something, and then that story is followed up with, but, or however, and how many times out of those moments when that happens often, are you just like, it's okay. I'm strongly urging, but you're strongly not listening. Okay. We tend to get a little wound up a little too quickly, I think. And I'm looking at Paul's words, and as I was reading this, I'm like, God, God what, what principles, Lord, what, are you, what can you teach us through this? Concerning our brother, Apollos, first of all, that Paul calls Apollos a brother is significant. If you were around when we started, and this is why I referenced the earlier teachings through 1 Corinthians, when we started this journey through the letter of 1 Corinthians, when we first hear Apollos in the letter to Corinth, it's not like the warmest of terms that Paul's talking about this guy. Because what's happening when Paul's letter finds the church at Corinth? Some follow Paul, some follow Peter, some follow Apollos, some follow Christ. They're divided. Remember, we've talked about the unholy conduct of the Corinthian church. They are a messed up church full of messed up people, just like we are. And when Paul writes to them, they're saying, I follow this guy, I follow that guy, you follow that guy, I follow this guy. They're divided over whom they're following. And so now, fast forward to the end of Paul's letter, Paul says, concerning our brother. Do you understand that when the Bible uses this word in this context, it's not like our shallow use of the word. I'm punching every man in the face right now. You're welcome. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. It's okay, brother. Brother, brother, like we're just, man, we're brothered up, guys, giving brother, like we just throw it around, like, hey, dude, same thing, hey, man, hey, brother, it's just another adjective we use for our friends. When Paul uses that word here, it is a term of endearment regarding this man, our brother. Now concerning our brother, remember, we had disagreement before, however, Apollos, it says in Acts chapter 18, I'm pretty sure you can read it. It's in the neighborhood of 24. It's in the 20s anyways. 18, 18th chapter of Acts, 20th verses. He says he's an eloquent man and he's competent in the scripture. Do you know what Paul was? Not super competent as a man. And he says by his own mouth, not so eloquent. I, ah, my speech. Paul says, he's, Peter says he's confusing. He writes things and people are like, what? Like he's, he's not an impressive figure. And Apollo shows up and he's eloquent. Like, I, I don't know. 
I could make a distinction. How could we, um, nobody under 40 is probably going to know this, but uh, you can watch the, you watch the real tape of the, the videos, the recordings of the Nixon-Kennedy debates the first time around when Richard Nixon was going to run against John F. Kennedy for the presidency in, uh, what, 1960-ish something, right? And when you watch this debate, you have John F. Kennedy, who's at the podium, he's just slick. The guy's smooth. Put together, hands folded, calmly just answering in his signature thumb and the forefinger if he has to do it kind of way. Uh, a younger generation would recognize a lot of John F. Kennedy's appearance in that moment, would recognize that in the later president, Bill Clinton, who admittedly was very styled after John F. Kennedy. And everybody's like, wait a second, you're right, I, I know. Very, very styled after, very composed in his speeches and in his talking. And, and then on the other side of the, po- of the platform, you have Richard Milhouse Nixon, the future president of the United States, a absolute discombobulated disaster. He's sweating, he's stammering in his words, he's, he's not collected in his thoughts. The polarizing difference between the two is Nixon's on point, but he can't communicate. And Kennedy is like this darling, and it's just, everybody's just like, compared to what we've ever had before, this guy is young and he's a whip and he's just put together. This is what I visualize when I think about Apollos and Paul in Corinth. Apollo shows up, he's eloquent, like Corinth is a city that's used to having orders speak to them. They're used to throwing money at people, just, hey, speak to us for entertainment, right? This is so strange for us. Uh, entertain me with some lofty speech for the next six hours. Go. They would pay their use to this. There's reason for disunity between Paul and Apollos. Paul shows us this in the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 4. Here at the end of his letter, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you, but you know he wouldn't come to you, that guy. I said, Apollos, you should go. I'm not going to. What's wrong with you? Paul has an opportunity here to defame a brother. He should have gone. I don't know why he didn't come to you. I'm sorry. I, 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 concerning him, I strongly urged him to come to you, but he didn't. He said it was not his will at this time. Like, there's room for that. And if we're honest with ourselves, this is how we operate. We don't just leave well enough alone. We start to get a little whipped up about things, and we start, well, I mean, I told them, but you know how they are. You know how they can be. No, don't say those things. We need to have more understanding. You could insert the word patience here, but I'm leaving it at understanding. Patience and understanding are different. Understanding lets us realize there's something else going on. I'm going to be understanding. Patient is just, i got to wait. I'll, we'll, just, we'll just wait it out. This seems matter of fact. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you, to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not his will to come at this, t- not his will to come now. Look what he says. He will come when he has opportunity. What does he take away here? He takes away the opportunity for the Corinthians They have to read into Paul's words, which are dangerous, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I believe chapter 4, I believe verse 6, or it's chapter 6, verse 4. I've applied these things to Apollos and me that you will not exceed what is written. Don't build up, don't don't characterize, don't put on a pedestal, don't follow. I'm saying this, don't go beyond it. 
I urged him to come. It was not his will at this time. He will come when he has opportunity. Christians should be understanding. Christians and churches should be understanding. We should be understanding churches. We should understand that we don't control what people do, but we do have responsibility, as was prayed here this morning, in how we respond to what people do. So I would ask for a show of hands about how many people, you know, get a little worked up when somebody's actions don't match what we want them to be, right? That happens, like that. I do it with my kids. I'm sorry, children. They're all in here. Parents, you want to be honest with yourself, you do it with your kids. I said this, you did this, and I have no understanding for it. I said you didn't. How dare you, right? We should practice a little more understanding. Paul says, I urged him to come. He didn't come. He will come when he's able to. Lord willing Christians, going back to verse 9, if the Lord permits, I will come and I will stay. Lord willing Christians will find a greater understanding for the actions of others when the actions of others don't equate to what we want them to be. Because in the church, made up of people who by nature are all enemies of one another, right? Let's embrace that and be comfortable with it. Hardly any of us in here would really be friends apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. I'm not even so sure how much I would like my family without the Lord God. Not my family that's in the room, I love them. But like extended family, think about this. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we are selfish and we want what we want and I don't care about anyone else. That's us. Welcome to humanity. The Holy Spirit does a work. As the Holy Spirit does a work and we learn to depend on the Lord and we trust and follow the Lord and we say, Lord, your will be done in our lives, in my life. We will find greater understanding for the actions of others when those actions don't equal what we want them to be. And in a church made up of natural enemies, not natural friends, every church everywhere, the room for us to not like the actions of others, not equating to what we wanted them to be, the propensity for that is extremely high. Now let's extend that to other churches. Uh Uh-oh. Let's just think about the fact that we all get along. I'm watching the conversations happen. People are like, we just embrace, and I love it. But I don't have time for that other place. Whatever, I don't know what it might be, a church in your past, a church in your present, a church in your future, a church in another town, I have no idea. You should be extending the same understanding to them, our brothers, our sisters, I pray. I hope that you understand the, the, the confessional statement of other Christians. I hope you know their profession of faith in Jesus Christ, because if they don't profess faith in Jesus Christ, they're not our brothers and our sisters. There's a line of distinction when we apply the term brother, when we apply the term sister. If their profession of faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord, one God, one Father, one Spirit, if their profession of faith is grounded on God's word, they are our brothers and our sisters. And if we are not living, Peter says to husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's a principle that goes beyond husband and wife. We as a church should be living with other churches in understanding ways. They don't have to do what we do. They don't have to look like we look. They don't have to say what we say. They have to hold to the tenets of God's word. Do they do that? Then we've got room to start talking, right? Man, we judge churches in wholesale. I don't want to be a church that's judgy. I want to be a church that is understanding of other churches. Why wouldn't they do this? Why wouldn't they do that? I'm guilty. Man, I have judged churches hardcore in my life, and Lord, forgive me. We should be understanding 
Trusting God's will in God's time helps us understand when things don't go as we plan. Being grounded in God's word that says many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will endure helps us to have some confidence in plans not going the way that we want them to go. So I have this point of application for you to consider. Are you an understanding person? I don't know if this would be said about me. This one struck me. I, I, I wrote that and then I read it and thought, hmm, I don't know if I am. Lord, help me to be an understanding person. Why, why should we be understanding? Well, one, I have three references. You can jot them down. If you don't catch them, you let me know. Are you an understanding person? I don't know if I'm not. One, if you're not, you probably have a big problem with other people. You probably wrestle with flesh and blood. And God's word says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Are you an understanding person? An understanding person will not wrestle with flesh and blood. They will understand there is something greater happening here. There is a spiritual realm that I am protected from seeing. There is spiritual warfare that is happening that I'm not privy to. An understanding person will, as far as it depends on them, Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, will live peaceably with all. If you're an understanding person, you are seeking, as far as it depends on you, to live peacefully with people around you. So what's the question become? Are you peaceful toward people? Or is there, maybe it's not even like aggressive, like we're going to go out and throw down in the parking lot. First of all, good luck getting past the ice out there. You're going to both fall down before you throw down. Second, no. No, 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 live at peace. No, I, I, I intend. The men talked on Friday night. How, can, how do we love? How do we... How do, <laughs> How do we people? Hebrews says, consider how to stir one another up. I'm premeditating my thought of living peacefully with you, not in tension, not at odds. That doesn't mean there's not tension. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. That doesn't mean we're eye to eye and on point on the same page. We might not be on the same page at all, but I can and you can live peacefully with those people that you disagree with. Understanding people don't wrestle against flesh and blood. They live peacefully as far as it depends on them. You go out of your way to live at peace with people. How about from 1 Corinthians itself, chapter 13, verses 4 and 5? An understanding person is loving. And what were those qualities of love? Here's a few of them. Patient, kind, not rude, doesn't insist on its own way. Concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly encouraged him to visit you. But it was not his will at this time. And so being reminded that love does not insist on its own way, Corinthian church, just realize Apollos will come to you when he's able to. When the Lord gives opportunity, he will come. I'm not going to insist on my own way here. Love is not resentful. Paul is not building up resentment against Apollos because Corinthian believers have a heart that's twisted and they're putting men on pedestals. He's not resentful of Apollos. I wrote down these three words. Are you an understanding person? I don't know if I am, Pastor. I wrote down these three words. Just settle down. Just settle down. <clears throat> I strongly urged him to come but it was not his will at this time. He will come when he has opportunity. Paul is going to go on in Titus specifically and I believe one other place. Maybe it's in Romans. And he's going to not only talk about Apollos, he's going to encourage the churches, you be of help to him. 
You help him. <clears throat> understanding Christians and understanding churches. Verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do, let all that you do, be done in love. Considering here all that Paul has wrote to the Corinthians, considering the depths he has plumbed in our thought, in our heart, the challenge of doctrine versus bad doctrine and getting it right and having order and improving our conduct in the world, improving our conduct in the church, everything. He's explained so much, and I came to verse 13, which is on my shirt. It's the men's shirt. It's a, it's a, a grounding verse for the men here. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I like this verse for men. But don't think that we use it for men's ministry. It means it's not applicable to you women or to us as a church. It's not a man's verse. It's in God's word. It's for Christians. Considering everything that he said and everything that he's explained, he comes to this verse and he just makes four statements. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Principles of what the church should be. Be watchful. Well, can you imagine, just imagine the Corinthians. Like, I read, I read chapter 16 this morning. As I was reading it, I was thinking about the Corinthian church getting the letter and reading it. That's what they did. And I'm considering reading it. I'm standing there reading it. And all of a sudden, he just comes, uh, collect and do it this way and for this purpose and send it with these guys. And I'm going to come to you if I can, but I can't. And so I will when I can because I'm at Ephesus and Timothy and Apollos. And be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Now, encourage, now I urge you, he goes on in verse 15. Just this quick statement. What in the world? Watchful for what, Paul? Firm in the faith. Why, Paul? Act like men? We're men and women. Women don't know how to act like men. They're not men. Men don't know how to act like men. How do we do that, Paul? Be strong. Be let all you do be done. Like, there's no explanation. He just gives these four statements and he moves on with his with his greetings. Be watchful. Principles of church should be, be watchful. So then I had to start thinking, and this is again how I work through things. I didn't start tromping all over the scripture to define be watchful. I've done that. Men in this room, we've sat together and we have marched back and forth across the pages of scripture considering what it means to be watchful. You want to find an encouragement in the word of God? Being watchful is there a ton. Over and over, Old to New Testament. I look at this, be watchful. Instead of just taking be watchful and attaching all the scripture that I wanted to attach it to, which we could easily do, and wouldn't necessarily be wrong, I started thinking, what has Paul said to the Corinthian church at this point that would call them to understand when he says, be watchful? Be watchful. Because a watchful church has responsibilities. You notice it's not written to men. It's not written to a man. It's not written to a woman. It's not written to a small group within the church. It's written to the Corinthian church. Be watchful. Watchful against what? Well, in chapter 7, they were a mess regarding marriage. In chapter 8, they were having problems understanding what food they should and shouldn't eat. In chapter 10, they were having a problem understanding how their actions looked like the idolatrous worship of the idol temples in Corinth. 
in chapter uh, 12 and 14. They're struggling with the misuse of their gifts in the church and how those things interact with one another. And in chapter 15, they're saying there's no resurrection. You know what they need to be watchful over? Everybody's going to love this word that comes out of my mouth. Doctrine. Be watchful. A watchful church protects doctrine. You're like, man, Pastor, you talk about that all the time. I teach the kids on Wednesday nights. Have a lot of fun with it. We talked on Wednesday night about sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. God's word is profitable. All scripture is breathed out, inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching. Doctrine. We all punch the tables. Doctrine. Bam. God has said it. Doctrine. A watchful church protects doctrine. We're, we've just witnessed a church not only not protecting it, Chapter 15, verse 12, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? This is like the base of our doctrine, and you're saying it doesn't exist. What in the world? We must protect sound doctrine. We must be given to the teaching and reading and understanding and study and digesting over and over of God's word. How many people get bored when somebody talks in the church, a Sunday school class, a youth meeting, a kids class, a small group discussion, a a coffee time, and somebody starts talking about something that you've heard 10,000 times from God's word, and you're like, I've heard this so many times, can you talk about something different? Put your hand up. I know you're here. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know why everyone's hand isn't going up, because everyone does that. Every one of us. Here we go again. We're going to talk about that again. This is so basic to me. This is so elementary to me. Never did I see God say in his word, I'm glad you read that one time. You don't have to read it again. We need it every day, every week, Every month, every year, over and over and over and over and over. Why? Because none of us read it all. We don't read it. I have a friend of mine, I'm praising God for the work of God in this man's life. I have a friend of mine who told me he's reading portions of the Bible he's never read. Never. I want you to think, this is, I'm sorry church, I love you. Man, I, I get passionate about this because I've been there. I've shared my testimony on this. I wasn't reading God's word every day of my life. I wasn't giving myself to the reading of God's word. I wasn't trying to know my Lord and Savior better. I was just doing what he called me to do, and that put me in the word every day because he called me to do it. And then God said, why don't you read my word because you love me? Oh, yeah, I should do that. That happened within the last three years. I'm 40. I spent the balance of 40 years not reading the word that God gave me that I may know him. And we're all guilty of it. So I don't come down heavy-handed on people that aren't reading the Bible. I come down passionately because I know what my life was missing without it. And now I'm reading people like, I wish I knew the Bible like you. You can! Open it and read it! That's all I do. I read and study, and I read and study more. And then I ask questions and read and study more. And you can and should do the exact same thing. Be watchful, because a watchful church protects doctrine. We're only going to protect doctrine if we know doctrine. Everything the Bible teaches is doctrine from God for us to know. A watchful church protects doctrine. A watchful church, this is a good one, stands against sin. Uncomfortable, huh? Did you know? Christian, hear, hearing my voice. If your brother or sister is caught in a sin, you have a responsibility to go to them and address it. 
If someone is caught in a sin, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, you check it. If someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should go to such a one. Gently. Careful. Be on guard. It's not just a flippant, hey, hey, sinner. No, 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 careful. Why? Because there's temptation for you in that too. Speck and plank and all that stuff. Be careful, but you got a responsibility. Here at the Village Church, we have membership covenant. Part of our covenant of membership says that I will take an active stand against sin in my fellow members' lives. That's our responsibility to one another. That's what the church, pastor, I thought that was your job. It is, and yours. It's our job. A, a watchful church stands against sin. Why would this be a principle that we understand from 1 Corinthians? Because in chapter 5, sexual immorality is in the Corinthian church, Paul says, to a degree that not even the pagans go to. There is a type of sin among you that even the pagans are like, oh my gosh. In the church, in the church, bearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was sin that sinners were like, ugh. What kind of sin do you got to be doing that causes sinners to cringe? Can you imagine? Not to mention, what danger were they in? Chapter 5, they have a problem dealing with sexual immorality in the church. Paul says, I've made up my mind. You need to cast that person out of this church. You get the evil out from among you. Chapter 11, they're not worshiping God properly at all. These are two glaring problems in the church. Still, today, we don't stand against sin, and we don't try to understand how God wants us to worship him. This isn't happening how I want it. It might not happen how you want it. We might not sing the songs you want. We might pray too long. I might preach too long. We might have bad wafers and bad communion juice. We do the things that God has identified bring him glory. He is the worship leader. We follow his leading. We stand against sin. Sexual immorality in the Corinthian church, improper worship in the Corinthian church, a watchful church stands against sin. Corinth had not been watchful. It shows all across the letter. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Because a church standing firm in the faith, one, proclaims the gospel, two, relies on wisdom through the spirit. Stand firm in the faith. A watchful church proclaims the gospel. We see Paul exhorting the Corinthian church to this. He calls them in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, I remind you of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised according to the scripture on the third day, that he appeared. Remember the gospel. There's a resurrection. Remember it. Proclaim it. And they proclaim the gospel by remembering. They proclaim the gospel by embracing verse 18 of chapter 1 says, the folly of the cross. Just think about it for a second. A piece of wood and our Savior nailed to it. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And Paul says, it's folly to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God 
to those who are being saved. You embrace it, you get cozy up to it, you look at it, you consider it, you remember it, you talk about it, you read about it, and you remember that if it's not for the cross of Christ, our faith is null. Proclaim the gospel by remembering the gospel and embracing the folly of the cross, and lastly, knowing nothing but Christ crucified. Paul says, I came to you determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified among you. How many things are we trying to remember on a daily basis as Christians that are so far removed from the cross of Christ crucified that we're no gospel help to the world around us whatsoever because we're contemplating things that there's no answer to? When the centrality of the gospel message should be of such primal focus in our minds, on our lips, in our hearts, that when we hear what the gospel addresses, we're ready with it. Listen, if you can't get the gospel out in five minutes or less, you got some work to do, church. If you can't get there in five minutes, you're like, five minutes, five minutes. You don't have any more length of time with most people. If you can't get it out when the opportunity presents itself and the Holy Spirit pulls you into that moment, if you're not collected and thinking about it and preparing your heart, be prepared for action. Oh, pastor, I just rely on the Spirit. God doesn't tell you just to rely on the Spirit. He says, prepare your minds for action. What does that mean? Why do, why do military services, why do the armed forces train over and over and over? Ah, we'll be fine whenever it happens. Why do sports teams practice and practice and practice and train and train? Ah, we'll, be, we'll just show up and play the game. And so, no, they prepare. And so should we. Be prepared for action. You don't know when the Holy Spirit is going to grab you and put you in a situation where he's saying, you talk to this person about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you do it right now. Well, I just don't worry about it. God says don't worry about it in that time. He'll put the words in me. He also says study to show yourself approved. God's not putting you into those situations if you're not studying to show yourself approved. He wants you studying and approved and ready, standing firm in the faith, ready to proclaim the gospel. Stand firm in the faith by proclaiming the gospel. Stand firm in the faith by relying on the wisdom that comes through the Holy Spirit. He tells them this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have a wisdom we dispense wisdom. That wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not a fleshly wisdom. It is otherworldly wisdom. It is supernatural, divine wisdom that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says the natural man can't understand the message of the cross. Only the spiritual man can. The natural mind is given to sin. Only the mind and the heart that is enlightened by the power of the Spirit can understand the message of the cross. He talks all about it starting in chapter 2 all the way through, through verse 16, 17. We have a verse that's found. We've been working on it with the kids. Kids, I hope you're working on your memory work for Wednesday nights. Questions one, two, and three. Who's been working since Wednesday night? I see kids in here. There's kids. One, who's been working since Wednesday night to memorize questions one, two, and three? Okay. Parents, this is where you get to learn. If your kids come on Wednesday night, they have a thing called a truth book. And there's work in there for you to engage with your children to help them memorize. And I'm looking at my own kids' hands not going up thinking, i got to work on my kids because they're not putting their hands up. But you know what I did this past week? I memorized one of the verses. It's the second question. It's the second verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. We have not received a spirit from the world, but the spirit that is from God. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. A watchful church protects doctrine, stands against sin. A church that is standing firm in the faith proclaims the gospel and relies on wisdom through the Spirit of God. He says to them, act like men. What's this mean? 
It means something very simple. Be strong and courageous. Want another cool study to do biblically? If you're curious, I don't read my Bible very much, but I'd like to study something. Why don't you trail off the words strong and courageous and see how they apply to the people of God. Be strong and courageous. Act like men. Because a strong church won't shrink back from protecting doctrine, standing against sin and proclaiming the gospel, and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. But a weak church sure will. In fact, weak churches will look at the gospel and say, that's cute, we got our own idea. Oh, pastor, that doesn't happen. People preach the gospel. No, they don't. I talk to people all the time who are like, well, it's really hard to find a Bible-preaching church. What are people doing? There's nothing else for a man of God, a pastor, a preacher to do on a Sunday morning but open the word of God and preach the gospel. What are churches doing? A strong church won't shrink back from protecting doctrine, from standing against sin, and from proclaiming the gospel. A weak church will. We've seen a weak church from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book. A weak church, a sick church, an unhealthy church, a messed up church full of messed up people. Be strong. Be strong in the faith. Be strong in your watching. Be courageous in your watching. You know what's hard to do? Brother, I got to bring this up to you. This is going to be awkward and awful, but I got to talk about this sin that I see. I don't know what I need to be strong for. Why don't you try and confront sin in someone's life and see how much strength you need? It's so difficult that some of the most mature Christians I know struggle and shrink back from doing it. Shame on us. No one should feel good about shrinking back from addressing sin in someone's life. We're not headhunters. We're not trying to shame people and ridicule people. That's been done to the nth degree out there in churches in mass. We are here to see Christians living the righteous life that God calls us to, and part of that righteousness is the denouncing of sin, the renouncing of sin, the putting off of sin, and that happens when it's called out, and that's our job. You need strength to do that. You won't do it if you're weak. If you're acting like men, if you're strong, if you have, as the Old Testament words would say, gird up your loins, God says to Job. If you're living that way, you're going to be better equipped to stand against sin. You're going to be better equipped to protect doctrine. Why do I need to be strong to protect doctrine? Because people don't like it. They want to tell you it's not true, and you need to be strong against it. Paul writes to Titus, and he tells him, an elder in the church must be able to instruct in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. And he goes on to say, those who are contradicting it on Crete, Titus, rebuke them sharply. He needs strength. Now, these three things are really fun. That's why we use them for a men's ministry. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. But we added verse 14 on there because the first commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you can be as watchful as you want to be and you can be as strong as you want to be and you can be as firm in the faith as you want to be. But if you're not doing it in love, you're not doing it well at all. Let all you do be done in love. Why? Because a loving church seeks unity, not division. It was ripping the Corinthian church apart. Chapters 1 and 3, they're divided over who they follow. They're divided over who they listen to. They're divided over who baptized who. Paul's like, I didn't baptize anybody there. And you're like, I baptized. He's like, I didn't. I baptized like one guy and maybe another, and that was it. And what are you saying? Chapters 1, they're divided over baptism. Chapter 3, they're divided over leaders. Chapter 6, they're suing one another. You know what happened? I loaned, <sighs> Phil, right? Phil the financial guy and Bob the bricklayer. 
Remember those guys from the inappropriate worship in the messed up church life back in chapter 11? Phil the financial guy, he needed a hammer. I'll ask Bob the bricklayer. He's probably got it. Bob, you got a hammer? Sure do, Phil. Here's your hammer. Thank you. Phil lost it. And Bob's torqued about it because it happened to be his favorite hammer. Don't you look at me like you don't know what I'm saying, men. Y'all got favorite hammers. Y'all got them. Someone loses that thing, I'd rather you wreck my car. What's Bob do? Need my hammer, Phil. I lost it. Let's go to court. Like, they're just divided. They're suing one another. He's like, you're going to law. Paul loses his mind in chapter 6. You should read it. You're going to law, brother against brother, before the world. How dare you? They're just divided. A loving church seeks unity. He tells them, why don't you just rather be defrauded? Bob, forget the dumb hammer. Phil, the financial guy, can go replace it. You got all torqued. Now you're going to sue him in front of unbelievers and you're going to tarnish the reputation and testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ while you do it. So let Phil buy you a new hammer and don't sue him. Loving church seeks unity. Loving church cares for one another. In chapter 12, their use of gifts were dividing them. They weren't caring. Show love to the weaker brother is seen through chapters 10. They're showing love of self and not for God and for each other through the demonstration of their gifts. They're just loving themselves. Their misunderstanding of the gifts, their misapplication of the gifts, their misuse of the gifts. They're showing that they are preferring and loving themselves instead of others around them. A loving church seeks unity and cares for one another. A loving church honors God by first loving God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and loving their neighbor as their self. Watchful, firm in the faith. Act like men. Let all you do be done in love. Are you watchful? Are you standing firm in the faith or are you relying on someone else to do it? Oh, my pastor, he's firm in the faith. Sorry about your luck. I'm trying to stand firm in the faith for myself. I can't do it for you. How many of us live that way? It's okay. My parents, they're really strong Christians. You know, my grandma, she knew Jesus. Nobody's grandma ever got them into heaven. No strong stand on the part of a parent saved their child. You stand firm in the faith. Are you, are you watchful? Are you standing firm in the faith? Are you strong and courageous? Are you doing all things in love? There's major interconnectivity. That's the note I wrote down. Major interconnectivity here between watchful, firm in the faith, strong, courageous, and doing all things in love. All these things help the other within us. They're all feeding off of. When I'm watchful, I'm standing firm. And I'm watchful because I'm standing firm. And I know that when I'm standing firm, I've got to be on guard because that may be when I'm most vulnerable. I'm standing firm because I'm watchful. I'm being strong and courageous because I'm standing firm in the faith and I know it's out there for my brothers and sisters. So I'm standing firm and I'm watchful and I'm gaining strength as I do these things and I'm doing them in love because it's not going to do you or me any good if I punch you in the face while I'm standing firm in the faith and being watchful. That's not helpful. We have to rebuke. We have to confront sin. We have to do all things in love. All of these require absolute dependence on something outside of us. 
So before we leave here today and we think that all we've done is address some moral failing in humanity, you need the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of you to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to act like men, and to let all that you do be done in love. Is the Spirit of the living God living in you? Are you saved? No, pastor. I don't know that I'm watchful. In fact, I, I don't know what to watch for. I'm weak. I feel inadequate. I'm not, I'm not firm at all. I'm far from it. I know you might be here today. I recognize myself in that. Are you watchful, standing firm in the faith, acting like men and doing all things in love? No, I'm, I'm weak, I'm poor, I'm needy. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I have four questions I like to ask people when this kind of conversation comes up. I'm just not feeling close to God. My relationship with God's gone dry. I, I guess I'm tempted to even wonder, like, I don't know, is this even all real or is this like the world says, just some kind of good self-help practice and it's not really truth? And I have four questions I like to kind of work through with people if they'll let me. Maybe they help you. If you're here and you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not watchful, I'm not standing firm, I'm not acting like a man, and I'm not doing all things in love. Do you have sin in your life that you need to confess? Question number one. Do you have sin in your life that you need to confess and handle at the cross of Christ? Sin is a problem. It's man's greatest problem. Unconfessed, hidden sin in the church is an epidemic like no other. Nobody wants to deal with it. Romans 8 says to set the mind on the flesh, verse 6, is death. Romans 8, 7 says that the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. Romans 8, verse 8 says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and you can read that, will not those who operate according to the flesh will not please God. So you're like, my mind's not set on the flesh. I'm trying to pursue God. But if you're trying to do something in the flesh while talking about the things of God, you're operating over there. And if you're operating in the flesh, you're not going to please God. Do you have sin in your life that you need to confess? Trust me, you do. So do I. Let's be real. Let's deal with our sin. First John says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Man, 1 John chapter 3 says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. The call is so clear to the Christian. Put off sin. Be putting off sin in your life. Do you have sin in your life you need to confess? Repent. Believe the gospel. Second question. What did your attention to God's word look like? Pastor, what are you saying? Well, what I used to say is, are you reading your Bible? But I know I read my Bible a lot and don't pay any attention to what I'm reading. What does your attention to God's word look like? Oh, pastor, reading the Bible? Yeah, reading the Bible. Read your Bible every day. Read it all year long from front to back and start over. Read multiple places. Read multiple books. Read God's word. Why? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, conviction, correction, and training. Do you know why? That you, those who are found righteous, may be complete and equipped. Now, I'm not reading God's word. My attention to it is actually quite nothing. 
well, then I'm not surprised that you're not watchful or firm or doing all things in love or acting like a man. Do you know Jesus? Christians can't live without God's word. Christ showed us that. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does your attention to God's word look like? Third question. What's your prayer life look like? It's, it's drive-through at best. Right? Let's drive through prayer. Oh, what a, what a perfect analogy. Whoever came up with it is a genius. Lord, I'm in a bind here. Could you use some help? Thanks. That's not prayer life. Does God hear that? If, you're, if, you're, if you don't have sin in your life, God's hearing you. Let's wrestle that down. Sin hinders prayer. Sin keeps God from hearing your prayer. That's why, do you have sin you need to deal with is the first question. Because if you've got sin you need to deal with, you're not dealing with it, God's not listening. What's your prayer life look, look like? Is it drive through at best? When was the last time you spent time in prayer to God and your prayer was drenched in the tears of confession over your sin, languishing in your life, lamenting the sin of your life before a holy God? Have you ever shed a tear for your sin before a holy God? When was the last time you did that? Churches don't even do this. Churches don't just fall prostrate on the ground. God, we're sinners, forgive us. When was the last time you did it? I'm not firm, I'm not watchful, I'm not loving, I'm not acting like a man. Right, and you're not talking to God either. You're not praying. When was the last time your prayers were drenched in tears? When was the last time they were filled with praise and thanksgiving? You know how the vast majority of every single person in this room prays? Lord, I, and then, they, and if you could, we, and also them, and we, I, me, us, turn that down if not off. And turn up, oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider and praise. Repent of your sin, confess your sin. God, I am foul-mouthed. God, I am ill-tempered. God, I am prone to anger. Father, I am arrogant and prideful. Father, I am prejudiced against people. Forgive me, God of my sin. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. You notice the difference in those two things? Forgive me, God. Like, spell it out before a holy God and confess your sin. What's your prayer life look like? Last question. What's your Christian fellowship look like? I'm not talking about I got friends around me. I'm talking about you're a part of a church. Christians are called into community. If you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you, you're called into community, and you get to a church and you gather with people that you can be watchful with, that you can stand firm in the faith with, that you can act like men with, that you can let all that you do be done in love with. Because if you are a Christian who is isolated from the very community that God has put you in, you're out here saying, I don't need all those things, I'll figure it out on my own. God's not telling you to do that. Not at all. Get into the mess of God's people. We're a wreck. Be watchful together, stand firm together, act like men together, let all that you do be done in love together. I don't have interaction with Christians. I don't go to church. I don't, eat, I don't talk to Christians. Well, you know, my work keeps me busy. Like all these things, all these excuses. No, are you saved? Does the spirit of the living God live inside of you? 
go to church. Do you have sin in your life? What's your attention to God's word? What's your prayer life look like? Do you have Christian fellowship? Don't neglect it. Hebrews says, stir one another up to love and good works. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. For those not watchful, shaky at best, I'm trying, I'm trying. But there are some who probably would answer that question and say, I believe I am. I, I believe that every day I am, I am endeavoring by the power of the Holy Spirit within me, according to the truth of God's word, I believe that I am striving to be watchful, to be firm in the faith, to act like a man, to be strong and courageous, and to do all of that in love. I, I believe that I am. I didn't just want to stop on the, hey, look at all these bad things if you're not. You know what I want to end with today? If you're saying, I, I believe that I am, I look to God's word, I'm inconsistent, but I strive against my flesh to open God's word and read it and to know him and to follow him. And I know that I need the Holy Spirit's help. And so I open the word and I say, God, help me. I can't understand it if you don't help me. I can't do it if you don't help me. I can't understand, think, do, see anything if you don't help me. I'm striving to do that every day by the power of the spirit within me to be watchful, firm, all in love and, and strong and courageous. Man, praise God. Don't let, I'm trying to, cause you to feel like a failure. Strive more. Persevere more. I don't really read my Bible. You know what? Tomorrow, read a chapter. Read a verse. I don't care. If you're not reading your Bible, open it tomorrow and read it. I'll give you something you can read in your Bible. Do it. And then, the next day, try and do it again. And take small steps. Do something. Persevere in that. I'm pastor, I believe I am. I'm, I'm endeavoring, I'm striving. Excellent. Persevere in that. Look what he says back in verse 58. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, I pray you'd help us. We need your help. I pray that you would help us, God, be watchful, firm in the faith, strong and courageous, and doing all that we can in love. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ, for his sacrifice that saves us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit living in us that enables a holy life, that sanctifies our sinful flesh and conforms us to the image of your beloved Son. Praise your name. God help us. Father, I pray for those in the room who are contemplating not having a relationship with you. Father, save them. I pray that they will deal with their sin before your throne, that you will forgive them, and they will be saved. Father, for those in the room who are striving, oh, Father, we're so weary, we're so weak, we are so needy, we are poor. Help us to understand that like you told the church in Revelation, we are poor, pitiable, blind, wretched and naked without you. And we are striving every day. God, give us perseverance in our faith that we may be standing firm in the faith, watchful, strong and courageous, acting like men in love. God, help us as a church. I pray that individually we would be taking these things, these, these principles that we find and applying them to our life so that this collective work that is the work of your hand might also be living in this way. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's Word.